true of like you cannot like during any death hike hunt whatever you cannot let your mind get ahead of where your feet are at like you cannot go i'm 40 miles into a 100 mile hike i have 60 miles to go like that you cannot engage that thought period you have to keep your mind where your feet are and move with what's right in front of you Welcome back to the Valley to Peak Nutrition Podcast. This week, I'm joined by Steve Speck and Mark Hulsing from Exo Mountain Gear. You've probably heard us talk about the death hike before. Mark has co-hosted a number of episodes early on in Valley to Peak, and most of the time we're talking about hiking and even our death hike experience in Alaska. It was just recently on their podcast where they'd started talking about the plans for this year's death hike. And in that episode sparked what you're about to hear. Steven made a comment about not knowing if they could duplicate the difficulty of past challenges because of all the lessons they've learned. Essentially, the 2016 hike was the the hardest we've ever done. And we had this conversation last year about, like, I don't know if we can do a hard one again because uh, we, we've learned so many lessons on, on how to kind of manage them and make them easier, right? I've been fortunate to learn those myself just through conversation with them over the years, but I thought, man, they were so helpful and so impactful to me that I can only imagine you guys would probably want to know too. You'll also hear Mark, Steve talk about experiences from these death hikes and how they've documented them over the years. All of those things are linked in the show notes. So if you're interested in looking at the podcast that Mark and I did from the Exo Death Hike, our gear list from that, our food list from that, or all of the past 10 years of death hikes from Exo, you can find all of those things linked in the podcast notes below. And I'd encourage you to take advantage of those and look through them. The pictures alone from the years that they've done this are, are quite inspirational. So here it is. We dive into some of the biggest lessons that these guys have learned over the last 10 years of doing some really, really challenging, but really, really cool things. I think most people are probably familiar with who you guys are and what EXO is, but it's probably still a good place to start. Uh, kind of describe what EXO is and then how you guys are affiliated. Yeah, EXO, we are a company that specializes in making backcountry hunting packs. In fact, we, um, January 1st would be the kind of 10 years um, since we kind of publicly made it. I think we the official launch date was like March something 10 years ago. Um, so, yeah, we've been around for a decade now, which seems crazy. Um, I don't know. What do you got, Mark? <laughs> That's the short <laughs> version. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah, you probably remember, the... we probably remember the days of developing the website and oh, yeah, yeah, the early funny. Beginnings. We actually just we were looking at that to figure out what date we started taking pre orders. Like, what's the okay? We talked about EXO a little bit, like 2013, and then at what point in 2014 did we say, okay, we'll like start taking some money from somebody? I think it was March 10th, Steve. But yeah, as we were trying to figure out that date, it was funny going back in time and looking at all these emails between Steve <laughs> and I and building the first website and Steve breaking the first website and me fixing that website. And... <laughs> no, no such thing happened. 
<laughs> I think you guys should do like a, a behind the scenes, how it started interview. I think people would be interested in that. Yeah, that's a good idea. Yeah. So yeah, I think everybody's probably familiar with who you are. And obviously I'll link, uh, you know, uh, the, the behind the scenes stuff that you guys have just created to the show notes. So if anybody's not familiar and you want to check that out, you can look there. But really, as a part of the business, you guys have as a part but separate uh, podcast, Hunt Backcountry Podcast. And you do these um, episodes on Mondays that are shorter, more informal, but really, really informational. And that's where this came from. There's a, so I, I'm a regular listener. I love it. And on it, just a couple weeks ago, you were starting to talk about the plans for this year's death hike. And Steve made the comment, you said, I don't know if we can make another hard one because of how many lessons we've learned. I'm you know, a little bit privileged because I've seen the evolution of that and I've been able to talk to you guys separately and it's, it's been enlightening for me. But I thought, man, I bet there are people on the other end of this chomping at the bit to hear what those lessons are. So I thought this would be a cool way to kind of go over those. So I've I had to put some structure to it. I've gone through different categories and we'll talk about those in a little bit. But again, for anybody who's not really familiar with what the death hike is, can you give a general overview of what it was and what how the brainchild stemmed back in 2016? Uh, 20, was it 15 or 16? Okay, so yeah, 15, 16 was the second year. So that was the hardest one. 15 was the first year of the hike. Um, Lenny, uh, Nelson, uh, who, uh, founded EXO, uh, we founded EXO together and then I, I bought him out quite a few years ago. Um, we both were very much into like competitive cross country, uh, mountain bike racing. Um, so it's somewhat in the realm of like, you know, endurance training, things like that. And we had, um, I think just through the grapevine and heard about some unofficial hike that happened in the central Idaho of some guys doing some hikes. And, um, it just, I kind of heard that once I was like, gosh, that'd be fun to do. And so then we set out in 2015, like, let's, let's make our own hike. And, um, you know, that first one was super interesting because it just had like no freaking clue what you're capable of. You know, you've never done anything like this before of, um, you know, what, like, how far can I hike in a day? What, what are my limits, you know? And I think we set out on the very first one, I want to say it was like 37 miles. It was roughly the goal. And that was a lesson learned over the years of like, it's almost impossible. You can't calculate the exact distance, um, through mapping software. Cause the, you just got to add 20%, 25% to it is what we found out over the years just kind of consistent number of by the time you add in every little switchback and, you know, your miles tracked on the event of we've always just been higher than what it says. But, uh, we, yeah, set out for, I want to say 37 miles. We started hiking at seven o'clock at night. We brought sleeping gear. The goal was to hike without stopping that entire 37 miles, just hike, start at seven, hike through the night, come out the next day and just had no, you know, had a wide, like, I don't know if we're going to be out by 8 a.m. or, you know, midnight the following night. We had no clue. And uh, we did it. And we I think we made it till 2 or 3 in the morning. And uh, that was the, the very first of many experiences of of guys just kind of getting um, delusional. I, I don't know. Um, 
kind of out of it, right? Bonking to a point to where they're, it's almost like you got, it's 2 a.m. and you're bringing your buddy home from the bar and he's hammered and he doesn't remember anything. Like we've ran into that multiple times where uh, there's a couple guys that just started, you know, we're on a trail and they're like, they can't even walk straight on a trail. They're walking sideways. Like, uh, I was like, and I remember thinking, okay, guys, time to stop and sleep now. <laughs> and we crashed for, crashed for a few hours. Cause there was, there's two or two guys for sure. Maybe three guys that were just kind of acting funky, but we had been pushing hard. I mean, we were doing like a three and a half mile an hour pace from seven till yeah two, three in the morning. Um, we're, you know, I was really trying to like lead the pack and just cruise to that thing. And then, um, uh, yeah, so guys started getting wonky, slept for like three, four hours and finished the next day. And plenty of guys, I mean, from blisters and torn up feet, to, uh, extreme monkey butt, um, to, uh, what else? I mean, just, just uh, my, I had some major it band issues and knee painful knee thing, right? I didn't think I walked right for two or three weeks after that first one. Uh, that was, uh, yeah, that was, but that was it. Like, I think all of us, I don't say all of us, then we're going to say 13 guys did that first trip and, uh, nine or 10 of them, 10 of us were, you know, like, dude, what, like, what are we doing next year? Right. Like, uh, like it was such a cool experience to, to push yourself and push your limits. And, um, I mean, I think all of us could think of many areas in our life where we have, we actually have no idea what we're capable of. Uh, you know, it's got even just if any, anybody who has uh, had children knows like the, what you can actually perform on with lack of sleep and things like that is, is pretty amazing. Where if, if you have no perspective on that prior to it, right? Like you're like, Oh, I need my eight hours or I'm grumpy. Um, or you you know, there's a, it's amazing what we can do with our bodies and, and really something I'm continuing to work on is, is like what we can convince our mind to trick our bodies into doing, uh, I think is pretty, pretty amazing. Yeah. Mark, do you remember what, which one year first one was? Yeah, it was 2017. So 2016 was the second one. That was a whole adventure that's probably worthy of a podcast, which again, I wasn't there. Uh, but Steve could tell some pretty crazy stories. And then the first one I did was 2017. I knew Steve pretty well at that point, but didn't know a lot of the guys. Flew out there, start hiking with a group of guys. No idea what to expect. I'd heard the horror stories of 2017. 16 so i didn't know what i was getting into it was all new people new country uh a new idea i never uh, i had done hikes but i've never done anything like this so um it was pretty wild that basically the short version on my first experience was we got kind of to the end of day one and there was a pretty much the group was kind of split into two already there were some guys who had stayed back and set camp some guys who pushed on, who I was with, that group ended up stopping to set camp. And then there was a few guys, myself included, where I was like, man, I don't know, I feel pretty solid. Like, what if we hiked through the night and just finished this thing? Um, which I ended up doing with three other guys who I didn't know. So for me, it was like physically, it was really cool, but it was also like, you're just three dudes. I have no idea. I don't know them. I in an Idaho wilderness I've never been in. I'm gonna somewhat trust them, like, hey, we can do this and hike through the night. And uh, anyway, we did, but it was, uh, it was a cool first experience for sure. That'd be hard to top. 
Mm. And like you said, I'm sure it's worthy of a full podcast, but Steve, general idea of 2016, and this may be a bad question, but I feel like I'll get emails if I don't ask it. <laughs> what made it so, what made it stand out as being just this like absolute misery of an experience? You know, it was so second year of the hike. We learned a few lessons the first year. I learned, I guess, I learned a lot. But um, the we, you know, did the first one. Okay, like we all survived that. Let's ramp it up. Let's make it harder. And we uh, flew into the middle of the Frank Church Wilderness, got dropped off, and uh, and then had a destination point where we had I had gone up the day prior, and we had dropped off a rig. Um, at this, you know, just the spot we could hike to. And I want to say it was like, oh, I want to say it was in the 40 miles. Um, but that this one was just a, like, every, like everything that could go wrong went wrong. But just we, you know, I'm, I'm looking at, like, trails on the maps going, oh, yeah, there's a trail there, trail there, trail there. Like, we, you know, basically linking trails together to, to make this hike. And we get there and, you know, this is Frank Church where not much is maintained. There's no uh, electric or um, uh, chainsaws allowed in there, right? So anything, any trail maintenance is done by handsaws. So it's pretty sparse. And uh, yeah, the tra the trails were just, you know, not there or they were there, but they were under six feet of downfall. Like, um, so that was probably number one. We took, we landed, I think, I want to say it was 13 or 14 of us again. No, wait, there would have been seven or eight guys the first year, 13 that second year. And uh, we had a couple, obviously a couple new guys, uh, five miles into it, we start taking off at a great pace. And uh, one guy just starts throwing up, like, oh, what the heck here? <laughs> What's going on? And then another few miles later, another guy starts throwing up and, um, the, you know, just don't like, that was just more of a fluke. It wasn't like the, the hike had been that hard to that point, but one of the guys was from the Oregon coast. And I think just that change in elevation was making him sick. And then another guy was just, he had never, uh, like very muscular fit guy, but not hiking fit, not endurance fit. And so we were pushing him at a pace that he just had never done before. And he was, um, he really, really struggled to the point where, I think it's, you know, probably like mile 15, I took his backpack, strapped it to mine and proceeded to hike the next, you know, 15 miles or something with his back just to give him a break. And um, so the first day, you know, the we had kind of expectations on how, like you're trying to always do this math on how much country we can cover. And uh, we were just, we were hours behind pace and just starting to look at like, oh my gosh, like I don't, we're not going to get, like we only had packed food for like this 36 hours to be in there and the pace we're going, it's, you start like immediately going, holy crap, like we're not, we're not going to get out of here and what we thought, like we're way, way, way behind pace and uh, just kept fighting through it, you know, and, and guys were blistering up, a um, couple guys who were, you know, used to hiking and like more of a hunting boots had tried uh, more of a Gore-Tex trail running type shoe and their feet were killing them. And um, diet was a big one, you know, guy just, there was, <laughs> that one was probably the most lessons learned, I guess, of just all these like foot care and, you know, taping up and swapping out socks and using the, the appropriate footwear for what you're used to, what you trained with, um, making sure that you're packing food that you want to eat 
you know, we were pushing ourselves pretty hard to where, you know, it's, it's, uh, you have those pro bars or something like that. And you just can't even fathom stomaching that. Um, and then, uh, there was also a lack of water in there. So you're kind of dealing with dehydration. I remember my IT band again, started flaring up on me. And one of the guys, uh, Travis, um, he started grabbing a trekking pole and then just rolling out your IT band and man, that would freaking hurt, but it would give you some, some relief. Um, so that was a lesson learned on how to roll out IT bands during the hike. Um, man, we, yeah, I think we it ended up being like two in the morning to where we finally got to where we wanted to camp. We slept for five, six hours, woke up and then had to drop like 6,000 feet down to the river on the way down. The, again, trails just like for every 20 yards forward, you had to go 20 yards left and 20 yards right, just trying to zigzag in and out of deadfall. Um, and it said so much of it was old fire where stuff was just, it was kind of matchsticks laying on the ground everywhere. And on the way down, we got a couple guys, you know, knees are freaking blowing up and killing them. Then we start running into rattlesnakes. Um, <laughs> that was like, and the, and the trail did like a lot of switch back in. So it's kind of like, Hey, there's a rattlesnake right there. You know, and I don't, I don't know how many snakes we ran into, but that added a whole nother element to it. Yeah. A series ahead, of a question. Yeah. Of mis of unfortunate events, it, that was actually the the recap of that hike was actually the very first podcast that I listened to, and actually I think oh, it was really? the one that made me initially reach out to you, Mark. But I think it's also a good transition point into like the lessons. So I I came up with seven different categories that I know of, and you may say all of those are stupid. We would go with seven different. That's fine. <laughs> but what I'm curious about is kind of framing this through three questions for your first death hike, or you could use 2016 death hike mark. You could use 2017, whatever for each of these categories. What did that look like? What lessons have you learned over the last 10 years and what, what strategy do you have now slash what would be your recommendation elevator pitch for that category if you were to meet a guy on an elevator you were to say he were to say hey give, give me your best advice from the death hikes on like the first category's boots what would that recommendation be ready <laughs> easy topic steve boots shoes like <laughs> yeah that's category one shoes and boots <laughs> what the first one look like how trash did your feet get what lessons have you learned over the years and now going into the 10th, the 10th death hike, what, what's your top of mind thing from those lessons where you're like, I know that I need to go with X. Yeah, I can start. I'm Steve. I know I have a, a bunch of info. Um, I wore Solomon trail runners on my first death hike and my feet actually held up really well. Um, in subsequent death hikes, I've definitely worn other things. I have worn more trail runners. I have worn boots. So it obviously is somewhat dependent upon the route uh, and the expected conditions with that. So like a stark contrast would be um, 20, oh shoot, what year was that? We just went to Alaska, Steve, 2022. Um, you know, we didn't know what trail conditions were going to be. We were expecting to be on some snow, some ice, side hilling, off trail, more water crossings, etc. So I didn't wear a trail runner for that one. I wore the boots that I hunted in. Um, and then again, flipping back this year, we're looking to do, uh, you know, a very well-established trail. That's not going to be incredibly technical, not a ton of water, 
um, no off trail, no side hill, etc. So I would be going back to something like a trail runner. So it definitely is, um, you know, route terrain conditions dependent, but in general, um, you know, it, that's one thing that through training you would have to really pay attention to is, you know, foot fatigue. Yes. And swelling in your foot becomes a real issue when you're on your feet for that long, especially if you pair that with poor hydration and electrolytes and footwear, obviously working its way up to affect, you know, knees, hips, et cetera. So, um, it definitely takes a lot of experimenting at times, but, um, it's definitely dependent upon variables. There's a, so there's like, there's a whole separate category for this. So you can save it for that, but like hike strategy while on the trail, since on the topic of feet and either of you guys can answer this, is there anything that you have found to be like a rule or from a, from a, from a management standpoint while on bigger hikes, I know I need to do X, Y, or Z thing every two hours, four hours, 10 miles, you know, change socks or rub my foot or do a self massage, whatever it might be. I would say the last, probably every two hours, well, I stop and swap out my socks. Uh, a little bit of that is, you know, if it's warm, um, then that's going to happen more frequently. If it's cold, then it, you know, it's not as critical because you're not sweating as much, but really managing sweat down there with your feet, keeping them as dry as possible because that's going to prevent blisters and foot issues later into the hike. That That's a big one. So every, every two hours is a general rule. Uh, and then I would say uh, do not have Gore-Tex uh, is a big one. And I've carried that through into some of my hunts too, where allowing the feet to breathe and dry is going to be a lot, lot better than, you know, uh, occasionally if you cross a stream and your shoes get wet, like, if it's warm outside and you're hiking, they're going to be dry in 10 minutes anyways, versus, uh, you know, the 99.99% of the time, if you have Gore-Tex, you know, where you're not crossing a stream, you're just creating extra sweat and moisture inside your, you know, kind of foot environment. Yeah, it was definitely on, I was, it's not shoes or boots, but on foot care. Uh, and I'd echo what Steve said. I pretty much, we tend to have a cadence on death hikes where you're stopping every somewhere between two to three hours to grab calories or something like that. But um, yeah, ch changing socks consistently. And then in terms of changing them, not just, hey, let me rip this pair off and put that pair on, but stop to take a quick break. It's 15 minutes. We're going to filter water and grab food. It's usually take shoes and socks off as step one. Let the feet air out. Not put socks back on until you're packing up to move again. And then essentially, usually the socks you just took off, which are somewhat sweaty, usually hanging on the outside of the pack so that they have open to air and sun and can hopefully be somewhat dry uh, in two to three hours. Um, definitely on the death hike is where, I don't know who, when, why, where, but we discovered glucotape and how amazing that stuff is. Um, so that's just another thing of if you do have issues, one, like if you start to feel hot spots or blisters or something, just stop and take care of it. It's not going to get any better. It's only going to get worse. You need to give it attention. Um, and glucotape does great. You know, we've done death hikes that are three days and it just stays on the entire time. And if through training, you know, you're going to have an issue or hot spot, you can even pre-tape, of course, um, and do that stuff. 
Um, and then the other thing I would say on shoes and boots, in addition to something like Luca tape, is just pay attention to lacing, especially as you're on your feet a lot. And as I said, like they can swell. Um, sometimes just changing the lacing or how you're tying your shoes or boots can make a big difference and can be different than um, you may need to use a different strategy than what you're used to, right? Because you're on your feet so much, they're swelling, they're kind of in a different condition. So that's another little thing on shoes and boots is lacing. You know, and generally, like in my, even in my hunting, I'm, I don't wear a traditional leather hunting boot, right? Like synthetics, lighter weight type stuff, more flexible. So it's just what I have found works best for me. It's not ideal in every situation. Like I've struggled to find a, a good leather hunting boot for late season stuff when you're in snow and you, and you do need that like really good waterproofing. But idea, yeah, I'll just cater my shoe to um, much like Mark was saying, but I'm I still just kind of stay within a shoe. Like uh, when we did Alaska a few years back, I went to um, uh, Solomon um, Speedcross, which is like a little tighter fitting shoe, a um, little bit more kind of technical terrain. And then last year, uh, I actually went to call it Topo Athletic. It's um, kind of a, a zero drop, lots of cushion um, type shoe that like wide toe box. And uh, last year was actually incredibly technical, but the for the first 15 miles were, and then you were just on trail the rest of the way. But that shoe performs unbelievable for me. I didn't have a single foot issue that entire hike. Um, so yeah, I just find what find what works for you. Understand your foot. And then train in that, right? Like, don't, you know, uh, get, get used to that. I typically, like, I'll find uh, last year as an example, like, a, or probably in January, February, we knew what the hike was going to be. I, or, I was like, okay, this is the type of shoe I want. Ordered up a pair of those Tapos. Once I found out I loved them, ordered a second pair immediately, hiked like twice with them, and basically kept those as brand new shoes for the hike so that I had kind of max cushion you know, shock absorption, stuff like that. And then continue to train with the, the first pair I bought. And then I said, busted out that one pair for, for the hike. And I'll do that same strategy coming into this year's hike as well. Like I, I'll probably wear that same shoe again and, uh, and have a brand new pair queued up and ready to go. Cause taking care of, I mean, when your feet go downhill, like yeah, you're done, right? Like it's, it. uh, we had that on one of the first hundred milers guys were like I vividly remember guys peeling off all the layers and layers of Luco tape there at the end of the thing and toenails coming off with the tape and you couldn't even recognize what toe was what because <laughs> there was so much swelling and um, that was uh, yeah, that was some comical stuff there. There's some carnage. Comical because it, it wasn't uh, my feet. <laughs> yeah. I think the, the idea of having two pairs is great and like one thing – I've done over the years is I'll watch the used REI section. And a lot of times you'll have people who buy a shoe or a boot that you like, they'll take it home, they'll try it on once and they'll throw it on there for, you know, 65% off of retail and it's unused. And I've bought and I've, 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 and they'll tell you on there, is it in like new condition? Is it in good condition? What type of condition is it in? And if it's in like new or good, I'll buy it and just stockpile it. And so it, you know, like it'll, it'll save you some, some cash on that end. Cause it is, it is nice when you start either a new hunting season or a, you know, a big hike like this or whatever to have a pair of shoes that still have good life in them, as opposed to like the ones you've been training in are pretty well shot by the time you get ready to go do whatever it is. Yeah. I think we did a podcast with, uh, what's that guy? Oh, Andrew Skirka. Remember mm -hmm. uh, Mark? And he was, 
basically talking about the through hikes, a good pair of shoes. He's like, I remember him saying a hundred miles and it caught me off guard at first, but I was like, ah, okay, I get it. Like, you know, that the foam, you know, even in our backpacks, right? Like foam, it's the one thing that's going to break down over time and it can't be, you can do different qualities of foam that might last longer or whatever, but that will break down and affect the performance of it. And, uh, it's good. Like, you know, the pair of shoes that I train in, they're going to have, I don't know, 300, 400 miles on them by, by the time we get to the hike. Mm -hmm. So if you're, you're, you know, if you're taking those into the hike, you're wearing a pretty, you know, a uh, haggard pair of shoes. Next up clothing, lightweight, breathable, something that dries quick, uh, and, and air on being cold uh, versus overheating. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, with that, like even protection. So like having, um, some of the hikes we've done, you're exposed for a while, you know, you're at higher elevations and the temps aren't terrible, but you're just, you could be in the sun for a long time. So, um, you know, your typical quote unquote sun hoodie, right? Super light, breathable. Um, I've used both synthetic and merino, but um, having a hood is huge to protect the head and the ears. Um, also really like that a hood, like you can get it wet and then you have that kind of moisture <clears throat> cooling you if it's super hot. Um, and then I tend to prefer a zipper on those as well because you can vent it like when it, again, when it's hot or you're doing a climb, but yeah, clothing, I mean, even you just don't need much, right? Like you're on on what we're doing with a death hike, even in colder temperatures, we're moving. And especially when you're moving, even if it's not crazy high intensity, but for such a long sustained period of time, like your body is just generating some heat. It's firing at all cylinders, as I'm sure you could talk about, Kyle, your metabolism's going, et cetera. So um, it doesn't take much, but yeah, light, breathable, protective from a sun perspective, and then having something that you can throw on uh, if you do stop or it's windy uh, is huge, but it's minimal. Yeah. Drying quick is huge. So I tend to do synthetics for that reason over Merino. Yeah. I remember a particular UST pointing out the sun hoodie, like the, the hoodie piece mm -hmm. being a non-negotiable <laughs> and yeah. having had gone to Alaska where like once you climbed out of the jungle below, it was all exposure and I mean, it would have been in, in been a big problem without the, the hoodie piece of it. I will say too, from personal experience, the quality of the sun hoodie you buy matters. <laughs> I've gone cheap, uh, which does, is basically just like a sauna. It is so hot. Even if it's thin material, it doesn't breathe at all. It's like the inexpensive version on Amazon. And then I think like a good mid row and Mark, you and I have talked about this before is the echo hoodie from outdoor research. And then there's obviously, you know, more expensive brands that climb up from there, but yeah, the, um, the hoodie piece definitely saved my tail too. Yeah. The echo is what uh -huh. I wore on my very first death hike. And it's funny. <laughs> I never, I mean, the hood's important, but it's funny to me to look back at death hike photos from all different years and how many times there's a photo of me how many times my head is up <laughs> just regardless um so yeah it's definitely critical yeah keeping the that was definitely a lesson like keeping the sun off of your skin like you would it's kind of almost counterintuitive to be like oh, i'd be i'd be way cooler if i just hiked with my shirt off right like no it's complete opposite of that keep the sun off your skin uh because you're just if it's not an hour or something you're exposed for you know you're hiking from sun up to sundown on pretty much every hike we've ever done that uh, keeping the sun off you is huge and then keeping it off your neck and ears and whatnot is, is 
really critical. This is a fairly big category, and you kind of alluded to it earlier on the the, the 2016 hike, Steve, but we'll lump food, hydration, electrolytes into one category. Just constant fueling. A lot. I mean, you've been critical in this role of uh, constant, just all day long, snacking, 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 not, not, you know, stopping and getting like bigger meals, just kind of keeping a, a steady flow of energy into the body. I, I really like doing that through, um, especially if we know there's going to be heat doing that through drink mixes. Uh, so tailwind and, and things like that have been really awesome to just have this constant, you know, flow of calories. Um, and then, you know, I don't, I mean, you probably obviously elaborate way more of this than I do, but the, basic lesson I learned from you was, um, when I know I've got something big in front of me, say we're climbing a couple thousand feet up, then I'm focusing, I'm basically pounding a handful of gummy bears. And then if we get to the top, uh, then I'll do something that's a little bit more satisfying, like a protein bar or something like that, that is going to be slower to digest, but I'm also like not needing to pull that energy from it. So that's my really basic strategy is, um, really simple, easy carbs, quick energy, and then something that's a little bit more dense, like on a, on a downhill or flat section. I mean, obviously, as Steve said, you've been uh, a very important part of what we've learned about this, pairing your knowledge with uh, putting it to the test and going, oh, yeah, that works. <laughs> um, but yeah, a lot of the simple sugars, I echo what Steve said about, um, you know, drinking those calories as well, uh, which again is advice from you, Kyle. Um, yeah, and then, you know, it, it does get, it can get... Um, like too repetitive especially if you're trying to just focus on simple sugars because on one sense everything then sounds like oh well if i say simple sugars that means sweet like and usually artificially sweet right so um i'm all for gummy bears and stuff like that but uh i've mixed in stuff like doing um golden graham cereal and like dehydrated bananas like just those two is kind of like a little trail mix um you know still sugars but not that artificial sweet um so i'll just say it's easy to obviously i don't say overdose but just to, to change up the palate you know even as you are doing simple sugars and that's why something like tailwind i do really like uh because it's for what it is when you look at the contents of it it's like oh it's just sugar um but it's not nearly as potent of a taste as a lot of the other drink mixes that are high in sugar so i just tend to tolerate that better um, but yeah, I mean, it's, yeah, echo everything, uh, what Steve said. And again, a lot of that's from you, Kyle. Yeah. The, the, the tailwind, like the, the reason everybody seems to like it has to do not to get too nerdy, but the composition of the sugars in there tends to sit better, um, with people. One thing that I love because I too am after a period of time, like I'm over anything sweet and fruity and you know, like I think the term you use is great, artificially sweet, meaning it's so sweet that it doesn't even taste like anything else, <laughs> is mashed potatoes. And so I will, um, if it's like a really long training session or a really long hike and I have the ability to do it, boil water, instant mashed potatoes the night before, cool them down, put them in a Ziploc baggie and squeeze those like as I'm hiking or running or doing whatever it is that I want. And it just breaks up the monotony of that really, really sweet flavor with the similar type of delivery for the fuel. Um, so that's, if it's an option, it's great. I'm curious, 
for this hike, like the, the hike this year and knowing that water could be a potential issue, are you, either of you doing anything unique for that? Just are you going to carry it all from the source through the whole thing? I honestly haven't dug too far into like the distance between water sources and the potential there. Uh, the, one of the contacts I've had, I think he said it's like maybe a couple 10 mile sections where there's no water. So, you, you know, what do you need? Three liters of water there probably. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that I don't see any, it's definitely not going to be like last year there was water everywhere um, and you don't want to run out. That's definitely a lesson learned over the years. Like, um, but uh, yeah, I, you know, a one liter Nalgene bottle on the hip and then have a two or a three liter just kind of bladder, you know, probably going to have a water filter, three liter uh, hydro pack water filter that I have. And so combined, I could pack four liters of water if I need to. Yeah. Yeah. I've done the route before. And if all of the water sources are available, um, there's not terrible stretches. And thankfully, it should be published on what what the status of each of those water sources are at those known points. Um, so we should have a pretty good idea of what's really required. But yeah, in general, I would say I th I'll have to pull up. I actually have my old uh, list from like, I think that was 2015 when I did this route, but I had it all mapped out of like, there's water between here and there. Here's the distance and all that. So it shouldn't be too bad to know ahead of time what that strategy looks like. And obviously that could... You know, that is something to consider with we just talked about nutrition is if you go into a hike, assuming I want calories via liquids, well, then you're on a hike where water stuff to come by. Like, obviously, you need to think that through, right? <laughs> if you want to have a bunch of calories via liquids, you need to make sure you have a bunch of water. Um, so that's pretty self-explanatory until you find yourself in a situation where you're like, oh, crap. <laughs> What's the evolution in training for something like this looked like over the last 10 years? For me, not much. Uh, I, Mark and I were just, you just asked me the other day about what my plan was for this year. And I think I, I need to go do a better job about working on kind of core strength. If the only issue I've ever had is it originates from my hips, but it pulls on my IT band and then, and then that pulls up on my kneecap on the right side typically. And excuse me um it is uh one of the more painful things i've ever i've ever gone through right it's like every step especially if it's flat or downhill is someone's like got a flathead screwdriver wedged in like into my knee and then hitting the back of it with a hammer right? it's freaking <laughs> terrible just um, get over it come on yeah. <laughs> it's <laughs> oh god it hurts uh that's what killed me last year i had to bow out with like how many miles were left 14 miles or something uh, i just I couldn't do it anymore. Um, so for me, I have found that just one, I just have a strategy right or wrong. It just works for me is to basically what I want to do, um, what the end goal is. I just do that for the goal, right? Like if goal is hiking, um, then I hike. If the goal was like, Hey, I want to be able to pack out hundred pound quarters, strap on a hundred pounds of sand and go for some freaking hikes. I, I, I mentioned earlier, I used to competitively mountain bike race and I would just like, if I couldn't get on the exact course that the race was going to be on, I would go try to draw out a, a route and I, I would do that and you can't do it. I'm not doing it every day, like, like one day a week or whatever. Right. And the other days do easier rides and kind of go up and down that way. But for the most part, I would approach that race 
or that, that ride for that day is as if I was racing. And, um, you know, it, it just worked for me. I, I was very competitive and did very well, um, with that strategy. And I've continued that into these death hikes where I just try to hike a lot and then, you know, I'll, I'll consistency. So hiking three to five days a week. Um, and then I've, I'll mix it up a little bit where some days are kind of speed. So I'll do like, I try to, the, the hike right here in Boise, it's a 10 miles up to the top of Lucky Peak round trip with 3000 feet. And I try to average four miles an hour with a 50 pound pack on the way up and down. And, um, if I'm like hitting those goals, that's, that's doing pretty good. So I set these in my training. I set these goals for myself, right. Um, kind of going back, like same thing. I was talking about mountain bike. Like I record all of my rides on an app called Strava and I was racing myself. I was racing my times the last time I did that. So it, it kept me pushing and getting better versus just kind of getting in a stagnant state of just being repetitive, doing the same thing. I think it's super important to, to compete against yourself. If you're, you know, and if you're a competitive person that drives you to, to go that much harder. Um, so yeah, my plan this year, uh, hike, you know, three to four days a week, mountain bike a little bit uh, on some other days. And then also I need to do a better job of mixing in the little, um, little exercises working on hip strength and core strength and stuff like that, that, that I think will help prevent like my knee issue from popping up. I, I had, um, gone to a physical therapist probably, I went, I had like three death hikes in a row where I had no issues, like 19, 20, 21, uh, 22, I think too. But then last year it flared back up. So I got to get back to being diligent on diligent on that stuff. But, um, to me that works. If, if I think that if you're, like trying to train for a death hike by spending four days a week in the gym. I think that's the wrong way to go about it. I think you're going to struggle. And Mark could completely disagree with me, but <laughs> I'd love to No. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, to do the thing, you got to do the thing. So it's, it's time on your feet. It's miles, all that stuff. Um, and then, yeah, I think as we've gotten older slash a little bit more beat up or beginning to realize both of us that it's, you got to do some kind of like prehab and mobility and strengthen any weaknesses, you know, you have type work. Um, but yeah, it's just one of those, uh, once I know what the death hike is for the year, then I make a plan based on. What does this look like? Are we going to have heavier packs because we're moving with gear? Uh, you know, is it going to be off trail, et cetera? So, and I just try to replicate that. And then I will purposely do some hikes that not only introduce distance, because that's important, right? Like part of it is just time on your feet and acclimating your body to that. Part of this is intentional. Part of it's just necessity, for me to find the time to increase distance, it's going to be really inconvenient as well. And so there's times where, um, like, I'm literally wanting to look at the calendar between now and the next death hike and go, where can I schedule an overnighter or uh, up at 2 a.m. or start at 10 p.m. and go to 5 a.m.? Like those types of things. Because um, I, I can't find seven hours otherwise is part of it that's the necessity part but the other part is like just the mental like exposing yourself to being tired in the dark like if that's something that's going to be relevant etc so 
I definitely mix in some of that with training. And then of course, everything we've already talked about in terms of like shoes, clothing, food, hydration, et cetera. If you're not intentionally paying attention to those things in your training, trying things, testing things, evaluating things, then you're missing out. If your training's only about miles and physical, and it's not about practical, logistical, and mental, you're not training right. So it's the whole, like training is an opportunity, yes, for the body, but also for every other system, including logistics, gear, mindset, et cetera. Yeah, that's all so good. <laughs> I feel like we could just shut it off now, but that's that's great. I had a couple of other things written down, but Steve, you touched on this earlier, and I think it's maybe the most important piece. So I'm just going to skip to this one. Evolution of the mindset end of things, and you kind of already talked about it just now, but anything else that you wanted to or would touch on, elaborate on from just the, the value from a mental perspective and committing to doing something like this and then going to do it. Yeah, that's, I mean, we could, this could be a four hour podcast in itself. I think, um, a, I think the, the, probably the main driving force behind doing the hike isn't to be like, Oh, I'm a badass. Like, like, look how far I can hike. It's to, to push and challenge myself to be, mentally tough to do things that make me nervous to, you know, like, I think that's, uh, it's a rule I have in my life every year at pick at least one thing that makes me nervous. Right. Like, cause that, if something that's going to like help, you know, make you lose sleep at night, um, and you're going to plan for and prepare for, um, you're just growing as a human being. And it's really, really important to do that. So the hike is something for me that every year we mix up, the challenge we we throw new wrinkles into it so we're, we're learning things i mean uh it's so easy for me to ramble here but last year we threw in the like you were we didn't want to sleep but if you needed to sleep you weren't allowed to do anything but pack a space blanket and like learn how freaking miserable that is and i don't ever want to do that again um i think uh you guys were all in that same boat um but then yeah it's just so good to our our daily lives right now, everything is thrown at us to make things more convenient, more convenient. And I, and I think that just takes away from the experience of life. Like we we're meant to have some struggles and because life in general is, is pretty cushy, uh, you kind of got to go out there and find it and search for it. And that, that's one of the biggest reasons for doing the hike every year. And then on the mental side, I think going back to the whole premise of this podcast was like, what, um, you know, I think it's going to be hard to like replicate that 2016 hike. And a lot of that is, is mental. Cause I've, even if I get to a place that's, that's close in a physical effort or is even harder mentally, I, I just going to immediately default to, well, I've been here before I'm going to survive, uh, tomorrow or the day after whatever it is, I'm going to be just fine. I'm going to be back home. Um, and so it's a, it's a way to, um, you try to kind of like get out of your own head when you're in those suffering times, right? And just like detach your mind from your body. And I, I could just start, you know, I could be absolutely miserable, but then kind of shut off everything that's going on around me and just start like daydreaming about the next hunt. And the next thing I know, I've covered like five miles, right? And like, oh, okay. And then just keep plugging along. So there's just so many, so many takeaways from the hike that um, it's just, it's such an invaluable thing that 
as we've said plenty of times here, we're going to continue to do until we physically can't do them anymore. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. It's a like Steve said, it's a huge topic. Definitely lots of thoughts. Um, it, I don't want to be cliche, but it's life changing. Like to do something where you truly are exposed well beyond what you encounter day to day, and and find out where your limits are. And as Steve said, like face something that makes you nervous, and then commit to pushing through it. Uh, is so stinking valuable. <laughs> and I've had that on death hikes. I've had that on hunts. And I think as Steve said, back to your premise, Kyle, like that's, I, I fully agree. That's part of what makes it harder to make. Not only the 2016 death hike, I wasn't there, but for anyone who's done any of the death hikes, like to repeat that because the first time is unique. And so there's always gonna be new lessons to learn or new experiences to have. But when you have encountered something before and overcome it, it's just easy to overcome anything else in the future. Um, and that relates to life in so many ways. So, yeah, it's um, it's so stinking meaningful. And the, the mindset piece is so huge. And people talk about how do you develop mental toughness? How do you develop mental toughness? And we could talk about that all day. But going back to what you said, Steve, like when you've been there before, that's how you develop mental toughness. So how do you develop mental toughness? You have to put yourself in situations and circumstances where you aren't tough, where you do want to quit, but push through that anyway. And then in the future, when you experience difficulty, setbacks, wanting to quit, it's, it's not easy, but there literally is something where you fall back on and go, no, I've done this before or something like it, or I've had this feeling before in a different context. I pushed through it then, I can push through it now. Um, I mean, I there's like zero doubt in my mind that like last year, my sheep hunt, for example, that I would have been able, I, I would not have been able to do that sheep hunt if I didn't have all these other experiences, both in hunting, yes, but in particular, the lessons I've pulled from death hikes like flat out would not have happened. So, um, yeah. Yeah. I think that's great. And, and I would, I would, obviously I don't have near as many under my belt as you guys, but I would say it's for me, not only in physical things, but other things too, right? Like just a prime example, like one of the, <laughs> one of the hardest parts for me is the unknowns. Like the communication is intentionally low. It's like you sign up, you commit, you prepare, <laughs> and you just, you're basically committing to taking on whatever's there, which is not me. I want to know every detail, but life's not like that. And so, you know, because of engaging in those things, when other stuff in business, like uncertainty comes, you, your brain kind of goes back to that. And I think that's the other beauty of doing them yearly is because if you, if you, if you don't choose to do those things, it atrophies, like you forget how to just commit and figure it out as opposed to having every detail in all areas of life. So yeah, I think it's, it's been, it's been you know, great to be a part of, and I've been grateful to be a part of it. And I think everybody will appreciate knowing these. Any last minute details you guys want to throw in beyond that? No, I'm ex just excited for this year's hike. Um, this is your third now, Kyle, right? 
Third or fourth? Yeah. Well, I had the uh, flathead screwdriver in my knee keep me out of last year. I went to. Um, oh, that's right. I was there right. driving for anybody who bailed out, which ended Recruit. up being. <laughs> Yeah. Early, uh, we were busy <laughs> all day <laughs> picking people up. Us, good thing you were I went, there. Yeah, I went into the the local town that we were in to get a coffee. I was like, okay, I'm just going to get some work done and then start start pulling rigs to the uh, to the end. It's 9:30 a.m. My phone's ringing. <laughs> How far are you? Can you come back? As yeah, I'll come back. And so anyway, yeah, this will be uh, this will be two. So too. Excellent. Nice. Mm-hmm. what did, what did you, what happened last year with your knee and what are you doing to address it this year? Mm-hmm. That's a good question. So t- training had gone great. In fact, it was, it was father's day that it happened on. So it was like a week before we were set to do the actual hike itself. I was just on my final training thing, uh, training run and hike. And I, I hadn't had any issues leading into it. So it wasn't like I was already nursing an injury. In fact, like it felt fine up to this point. And then I got about 13 miles in and it felt exactly like you said, someone taking a flathead screwdriver and tapping it with a hammer into my knee, my right knee. So I called my wife to pick me up at a trailhead that wasn't far from the road instead of doing the full route and basically nursed it for a week and a half and it did not get any better. It was the same deal, tight IT bands, tight hips. And, you know, at that point, my brain was like, I want to preserve this for hunting season as opposed to try to push it and and risk injuring it. And even leading into the hike, I, you know, I couldn't, I couldn't hike without it hurting, but it was the same type of deal. Mm. What am I doing? Uh, I've just, same deal been very 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 diligent about you know mobility and um p just the the pt just the kind of ancillary stuff that's not you know post worthy on instagram nobody's going to be thinking oh this is awesome look at this person it's it's just the little things i think you said it perfect when you said paying attention to the little things and if, if I do that and I don't try to overuse it too quick, it seems to be all right. But yeah, that's the main, the main thing this year is for me to just pay attention to that and show up on the day healthy without that nagging at me. Yeah. I'm, um, I'm, yeah, it's going to be, a, it's got the potential to be tough. And I'm, uh, I was going to put that, I sent out an email obviously earlier today to everybody, but it's, I'm personally setting, I want to get to that hundred miles inside of 48 hours so that the route will be 96 or 95, but it's, uh, I'm going to, my goal is to push past that hike a couple extra miles because we've, I've, we've done parking lot loops in there. Yeah. Yeah. We've attempted to 200 milers in the past and they've always, uh, we've always come up short. Um, and frankly, like, you know, the first hundred mile we did like 93 or 94 or something like that. And you were, it's just like, no, there's zero chance I'm hiking six more miles at this point. Um, but, but, but that is my goal right now. Like it's, uh, um, uh, I am training to, to do a hundred miles inside of 48 hours, uh, basically traverse the grand Canyon twice and add in a little extra, um, we'll traverse it four times really. Yeah. And then add in a little extra on top of it. I've been, this is either really stupid or just enlightening, but, uh, looking at some rim to rim to rim 
stuff on like YouTube, people doing it either in a day or something. A lot of guys are doing, you know, they're camping in there for a couple days. Yeah. <laughs> um, which I'm like, well, maybe I shouldn't watch this, but uh, it'll be, it'll be fun. It's, it's, I've never been there. It's obviously looks just breathtakingly beautiful. So yeah, we'll, uh, we'll see. I did that rim to rim. I mentioned, I think it was 2015 and uh, yeah, if you would have told me at the end of that, Hey, you want to go do that three more times? no absolutely not like not gonna happen <laughs> so yeah it'll be it'll be good but that was pre-death hike i was a different person we'll see i feel if, like uh, if i can yeah. if i can convince my brain on day two to start like that's the that's gonna be my yeah. my thing yeah, that's huge if i can just tell my brain to go and my true of like you cannot like during any death hike hunt whatever you cannot let your mind get ahead of where your feet are at. Like you cannot go, I'm 40 miles into a hundred mile hike. I have 60 miles to go like that. You cannot engage that thought period. You have to keep your mind where your feet are and move with what's right in front of you. Yeah. That's what I talked about earlier. Like find a, find a way to detach the mind from the body. Like just, yeah, be uh, yeah. <laughs> it's a fun place to be when you get there actually. I'd like to be sure and thank Mark and Steve for joining me. I know it's a busy time of year for them and they were gracious enough to, uh, to come on and chat. So I know I appreciated it and I'm, I'm sure that you will too, after getting some really great insight from them. As always, if you have any questions for us that you want us to cover on a topic of the podcast, you can send those over to us at info at v2pnutrition.com and we would be more than happy to answer those. If you have any questions for me about nutrition, you can also send your questions over to that as well. We'll be back again in a couple of weeks with more new episodes. Until then, have a great week, everybody.